I am excited uh, to have this opportunity, and uh, so we'll just kind of jump right in. If you would, uh, open your Bibles and turn to Psalm 13. If you happen to be using one of the Pew Bibles, that is going to be on uh, page 1, I'm sorry, 423, page 423. <clears throat> Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. So it was in the uh, fall of 2005, we were kind of on the tail end of a process of making a decision, and I, I mean, my wife and myself, and what had happened is over that spring and summer, we had felt an increasing call that God was calling us to step out in faith and leave the church that we were serving at, which was in Nashville, Tennessee, and come back down to Florida, specifically to Orlando, to begin the process of investigating what it might be like to plant a church. And so it was an exciting time, right? We feel like God's moving, we're, we're, we're hopeful, we're optimistic, we're sharing what, what we think God's telling us with people, and people are affirming, yeah, I could see that for you, um, I'm going to pray for you, is there anything we can do to help? So plans are being made, we're, 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 we're kind of setting things in motion, and the transition's getting ready to happen, there's plans for the send-off. And so I mentioned the year, and, and actually I was wrong, it wasn't the fall of 2005, it was the fall of 2008. So do you guys remember who were here in Orlando in 2008, what happened in the fall of 2008? So guess what a big part of our plan was for this transition to come to Orlando? It was to sell our house. Because we had, a, we had bought a foreclosure, so we had a lot of equity. So we were going to sell our house, pay off our debt, and use the money we made off the sale of our house to then relocate to Orlando, where I had no job, no promise of a job, no source of income, right? Wing in a prayer, God's going to provide, I was going to come down here and find a job. So for those of you who remember, what happened in fall of 2008? The real estate market tanked, and the economy crashed. And in all places in the United States, Orlando was like ground zero. So all this happens, and I'm like, God, why did you have us pull the trigger on this to then have this happen? It kind of felt like if you're, if you're going out to learn to ride your bike with your dad, and he gets you on the bike and gets you going, and then gives you a shove and lets you go right out into traffic. It was a great time to sell our house because prices went from a premium to a penance. And finding a job in Orlando in the fall of the beginning of 2009, nobody was hiring. Are you kidding me? So perhaps you've had a similar experience where you feel like God is calling you to do something. God is asking you to take some step of faith, and you begin to, to do that. And as you begin to step out in faith, all of a sudden things fall apart. Maybe that's you right now. Maybe you made a decision and you felt full of faith and confidence that this is the right thing to do, that God is asking you, would, would compel you to do this thing, make this choice, make this, make this decision. And then you follow through on it. And all of a sudden, 
these things, these difficulties start coming your way as a result maybe of making that decision. Maybe other circumstances, and it feels like the bottom just falls out of your life, and you're, and you're standing there going, God, where are you? Because if you really loved me and you cared about me, this wouldn't be happening right now. So clearly something's wrong. So this experience of questioning or this experience of doubt or frustration when circumstances in life don't, don't go well for us is one that's common to all of God's people in this life. And so we're going to be looking at this psalm, Psalm 13, which is a psalm of David that gives voice and offers guidance to us through times such as that. So before we jump into it, just a few uh, brief notes. So it is a psalm of David. We do know that it is attributed to him. But what's interesting is, though it is his psalm, we don't know the exact time events, uh, time or events that the psalm is referencing. It's kind of general, nonspecific. Now, the one good thing about this is it enables us to read this psalm and appropriate it for the circumstances and experiences of our lives. And I think that's a grace of God to us. But, but I do think that there was a time in David's life that does really fit kind of the, the language that we see him using in Psalm 13. And if you're familiar with David's story, God had sent a prophet and anointed David to be king. And so you, at that point, you're like, man, things are going to just, it's all uphill for David from here. And next thing you know, the existing king, Saul, doesn't take too kindly to this and gathers an army and starts trying to kill David. And so David is now running away from the kingdom that he's supposed to be ruling, and he's living in caves and in the wilderness as Saul and his army are trying to kill him. So imagine if you're David, you're like, uh, this isn't playing out like I thought it was supposed to play out here. Like I saw this pathway and, and I'm on this one now. What is going on here? So let's jump in. First thing, first thing I want us to kind of remember or, or grab hold of is that when we can't, when you can't see how God is in control, when you can't see how he's in charge, exercise faith by questioning him. Exercise faith by questioning him. And you see this, for example, in verses 1 and 2. What does David say? How long, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? There will be times in your life, maybe you're in it right now, maybe it's it's happened in your past, and if it hasn't, like, like Pastor Jeff said, it's coming, where God will appear, where God will seem, where everything in your head and your heart will tell you that God is absent, that he is checked out. He's not paying attention. He's not looking at you. He's not involved in your life. Because if he was, the things that are happening to you and around you wouldn't be happening. This reality is given expression in verse 1. He says, how long shall you forget me or hide your face, right? And the image that, that of God hiding his face is one that actually shows up in multiple psalms. So, for example, you'd see it in Psalm 27, 9, Psalm 44, 24, 69, 17, and others. It's a repeating theme. Why do you think it's a repeating theme? Well, because it's a repeating experience of God's people, isn't it? It conveys a sense of losing God's favor. It it, it communicates this idea that God is not present and acting on your behalf. So when David cries out, how long will you forget me forever? Why are you hiding your face from me? What he's saying is like, why 
Why are you not with me? Why are you not for me? Why are you not acting on my behalf, God? You say you love me. You say you care about me. But I really doubt it because if you did, these things wouldn't be happening right now. And it also gives voice uh, in verse 2 to this experience of anxious and racing thoughts. And he says here in verse 2, How long must I wrestle with these thoughts day after day? And I think it's interesting because it gives a picture of desperation when, you're, when your mind kind of pings back and forth trying to find a solution to circumstances or events that you realize are kind of out of your control. So maybe you've done this before where it's like something happens and you're like, okay, 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 I got this because if, if I can do this and then if this happens, then this will work out. Okay, but if that doesn't happen, then I can try this. But if that doesn't happen, well, what about this? And I can't control this. And, and all of a sudden you start realizing like, I can't, I can't control this. And your mind starts spinning. You ever have one of those nights where you're, just, you're awake? Because you're worrying and you're anxious and you're fretting over your life because you want to fix it and you can't fix it. You're powerless, right? And you feel hopeless. So here's David. How long must I be trapped in my head, Lord? Why aren't you answering me? Why aren't you doing something? Anybody relate? And if that's not enough, there's actually enemies who are behind some of the hardships and underlying questions that David's asking. And so maybe you've been in a situation like that where it's not circumstances, but for, for some reason, maybe a co-worker, a family member, a friend, somebody for whatever reason has, has taken it up as like their job to, to, to give, bring hardship and ruin into your life. If you've ever experienced slander, if you've ever experienced gossip, if you ever had somebody maliciously try to attack you, or to, to, to do you harm and bring harm to you or to your loved ones, then you know what that experience is like. And that, that's what's going on here as well. And so he's asking questions. Where are you, God? <coughs> Why have you turned your face? Why are you hiding your face from me? But these pointed questions, these doubts, are a sharp and profound expression of doubt in the midst of crisis. And I think the thing that's important is that far from being a contradiction to faith, we need to understand that giving voice to these kinds of things, is what a living faith looks like in times of trial. So, for example, um, in his commentary, Gerald Wilson writes this. He says, this kind of questioning, flung in the face of God, as it were, is a product of and a response to the experience of the hiddenness of God, who refuses to appear and act as humans expect and desire. Rather than information, these questions seek divine presence and action on the questioner's behalf. Such questions reveal a faith seeking to understand in the midst of painful experiences that shake the very foundation of believing. Faith is not ignoring doubts or fears or frustrations when we feel as though God has turned away from us and forgotten us. Faith is bringing these very questions to God and laying them at his feet with an honesty and a transparency that can sometimes come across as emotionally raw, uh, vulnerable, fearful even. I mean, what else are we going to do with these kinds of questions when, when, we, when we're really wrestling with doubts? Are you just going to slap a smile on and, and, and pretend like everything's okay? How's, you, how's it going? It's, it's going great. I'm doing really well today. Uh, it's, it's, I'm okay. It's fine, right? And how silly it is that we try to, we try to have a relationship with God that, that we're building on a foundation of, of ultimately lies. Like, we can trick God in, into thinking, like, we're not really doubting his goodness and questioning him and wondering whether or not he really cares about us. 
Like, if you're trying to build a, a sense of intimacy with God, and, and your first step is to hide how you're actually feeling, it's not going to go well. It's going to end in despair, or you're just going to kind of check out. You're going to have a, a very shallow, very, very um, kind of empty, going through the motions thing. So what might, what might exercising faith by questioning God look like for you? Today, this week, this month. You may not have a mad king in his army trying to kill you like David did. But you may feel overwhelmed. You may feel defeated. You may be wrestling with feelings of hopelessness. You may feel as though God has shelved you and forgotten you. You may feel as though you can't measure up. You're not good enough. I can't do it. You may be questioning ways that you've been treated by family, by friends, by circumstances, etc., have circumstances, have, has sin, has your own sin, has the sin of others, has Satan, have men set themselves against you? Do you feel abandoned by God? That I would implore and encourage and plead with you to exercise faith by bringing those very questions and those doubts to God, to wrestle with those things before his presence and in the context of community with fellow believers because you're not alone in that experience. David himself Experience that we see it as a repeating theme in the Psalms. Why? Well, because it is a repeating and common occurrence of the people of God in this life. But faith doesn't just stop with questions. An active faith progresses. It moves on. And we see this in David. And so the second thing I want, I want us to remember this morning is that when you can't see how God is in control, exercise faith by calling upon the Lord. By calling upon the Lord. And we, and we see this reflected in uh, verses 3 and 4. He says, look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. So here we see this questioning and complaint shift towards a request. Now he's asking God of something, isn't he? So before, he's like, I don't trust you. I got questions. You need to, and now, now he's shifting. He's like, okay, you need, to, you need to give me some answers here. And what's interesting is in the text itself, in the English, uh, a lot of the translations kind of soften and, and almost obscure the plain meaning. But in, in, the, in the original Hebrew, it reads more like this. Look at me! Answer me! Stop looking away from me! Where are you? Why are you hiding your face? Now, we're not used to kind of giving that kind of emotional expression in public. It's like something's wrong with that dude. He needs to, he needs like a, someone make him a warm drink and tuck him in and pat him on the head, make sure he's okay. Like, did you skip breakfast this morning? Is your sugar low? What's going on, right? But the actual text has this almost violent emotional outburst. And when we think of it this way, what we tend to do is, is we tend to think that this sort of intensity and this sort of like, I mean, almost bluntness before God is presumptuous and disrespectful. We think, I, well, you can't do that. That's God. How, how, like, who are we to, to come before God with that kind of just blunt, raw emotion? But the thing we fail to understand is that when, when David is, is bringing this request before God, it's within the context of a place of intimacy and covenantal love. 
And we see this reflected in his words. He uses God's covenantal name, Yahweh. The English translates that as an all-capital Lord. But the actual underlying word there is Yahweh, which is God's personal name. And then he calls him, my God. Lord, my God. Yahweh, my God. It's a very personal, very intimate dynamic that's taking place. And the only reason we feel this to be too forward is because we actually fail to grasp the kind of intimacy that God desires to walk with and have with his people. And I think one of the best reflections that we see of this in the New Testament, for example, is when Jesus simply instructs his disciples and us to refer to God as what? Father. Father. And look, I know that's a loaded term today. Because some of us didn't have good dads. We had crappy dads who neglected us, abandoned us, our moms, our siblings. Maybe they were abusive and they harmed us. And so that word father can sometimes come across as a piece of sandpaper grating against the skin. But what we need to understand is our heavenly father, the father that we see in the scriptures, is not like our earthly fathers. He's perfect and he's good and he cares about his people. And he desires to know us and to walk with us. And, and the proof of that is he sent his own son, Christ, to live, die, and rise in order to purchase reconciliation for us so that we could be united with him again. And so there is, there is a desire in God that defines him in terms of his pursuit of his people and a, and, a, and a want to have intimacy with us. And so David crying out, it's not, it's not inappropriate. It's not disrespectful. It's what faith looks like in the midst of doubt. This is why Jesus tells us to refer to God as Father. Case in point, my youngest son, Conrad. So, let me ask you a question. Do you think he gives a rip about propriety if he wants my attention? Do you think he cares about anything else other than the fact that he wants me for something? And come, come hell or high water, he's going to have my attention. Right? Dad! Hold on, Conrad. I'm kind of doing... Dad! Connor, I'll be there. Dad! What? <laughs> right? It's like, but now God is our father, doesn't go. He's not like me. He's not like, why do you want? Like, he's like, what? Yeah, he, he hears and he responds and he draws near. It's not inappropriate. It's not rude. It's not disrespectful for us to cry out to God and to be blunt and emotionally raw with him. It's actually what he wants from us. And in truth, we had more time to unpack it. It's, that is part of what I'd say, that's part of what and how uh, God orchestrates the process of discipleship to bring us through healing and towards restoration. So when you're feeling overwhelmed by circumstance, sin or Satan or men, exercise faith by calling upon the Lord. Perhaps the Lord will answer and grant relief. So here's three examples. So I shared the story when we moved to Orlando. And, and, and the crazy, crazy thing is God proved faith when we sold our house. I somehow managed to get us an apartment. That was a miracle because I didn't have a job. You ever try to get an apartment? And they're like, where do you work? I don't have a job. I'm coming from out of state. Do you have a, a promise of employment? Nope. And somehow God gave me an apartment. I don't know how it worked. Four bedroom, three bath for $7.99 a month. It's ridiculous, right? Anyway. So we get a place to live. God starts lining things up for us. Everything's working out. And, and we were able to pay off our debts. We had, a, we had a chunk of change to carry us through. And this is about probably nine months in. 
right? I still hadn't found a job because nobody's hiring. We're still trying to sort some things out and figure, figure out the details. You know, but over time, bills still had to get paid. There was, I think, a total, it was my, my wife, myself. We had two boys at the time. Conrad wasn't around, but we had two young adults that were living with us as well. So there was six, seven of us that I, I was essentially providing for. And I remember I wrote the rent check, and I, I was like, okay, here, let me send this check off to the office. And I looked in the checking account, and I was like, we have $6. $6. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I got six bucks, and I, I got no job. I got no promise of a job. I got no source of income. Uh, we got to buy groceries sometime this week, and rent's coming up, and I don't know. And all of a sudden, I had a panic attack. And if you ever had one, it's terrifying. Like, it literally feels like your chest constricts. You can't breathe. You start hyper, and like, and I got lightheaded, and. I didn't know what to do, so I ran back to the, one of the back rooms, and I, I shut the door, and I literally shut the door and locked it, and I fell on the floor. I laid out prostrate. I just started weeping and crying. And I, I couldn't, it was one of those, I'm trying to get out of prayer, like a vocal prayer, and, and, and it was like I'm sobbing, and, and, and my, my voice is all choked up, and I couldn't get it out, and I'm just like, God. And I, all I can explain is that in the midst of my uh, anxiety and in the midst of this like turmoil that I was experiencing. I had this incredible just sense of it'll be okay. Like this incredible sense of peace just overwashed me. The, my, my anxiety subsided. I remember I stood up and I, I was like, I was confused. I was literally confused. I was like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I was like, okay. Unlock the door. I go walking out. Aaron's like, are you okay? I was like, uh, I am now. You know, it's like, because she could tell something was wrong. And I, I kid you not, in 10 minutes, I get a phone call. Uh, and it was from our Aaron's uncle. And he's like, hey, da-da-da-da, we just did your taxes. You should get a deposit in there. And we went from having $6. And I think that year, somehow, we managed to get like $8,000 in, in a return. I was like, wow, that's, that's so next step carried us on. So cry out for God. So one, one, of the, one, of the, one of the ways that God will answer is he'll grant relief. Perhaps the Lord's answer will grant strength to endure. So if you remember with Paul, and he gives this story in 2 Corinthians, he says he has some kind of issue, and he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to remove it from me. And the Lord said what? No. No. I'm going to leave you with this because my grace is sufficient. And so sometimes we'll ask for God, we'll ask God to, to move on our behalf, behalf, and God won't grant us relief, but he'll grant us the strength that we need in order to endure, to carry on. We like that less than the relief one, right? Like, it's, it's much better for God to just kind of take it away. But sometimes instead of taking it away, God grants us the strength because God has purpose in those things, like he did with Paul, so that more of him can show through us through the brokenness of our own lives and the weakness of our own lives. And then thirdly, perhaps the Lord's answer will be to bring you fully into his presence. Example of this is in the book of Acts chapter 7 where we see Stephen who's being stoned to death, crying out to God, and then he gets a picture of Christ before he's taken up into heaven to be with Jesus. Now, let's be honest. Like, none of us are like, sign me up for that one. That sounds like when we pray, that, that's like options one and two is way better than three. Give me one. I'm all in for one. Two, yeah, okay, okay, but three, no, nah, man, not me. I don't want that option. But look, we need to understand, like, if we let the scriptures shape us, 
and we see how God interacts with his people, then we have to be honest about this. We have to say, look, sometimes God's answer is to bring us home, to be with him. And we, even though we don't like that possibility, but we need to understand that God is faithful in life and in death. But perhaps, perhaps the Lord's answer will be to tarry, to, to not give an answer. What do we do then? What do we do then? So this is the third thing. <clears throat> when you can't see how God is in control, exercise faith by waiting on the Lord. Exercise faith by waiting on the Lord. And so here in uh, verses 5 and 6, we see another shift take place in, in David's psalm. So the first one, he brings the questions. The second kind of section, he, he shifts from questions and complaint to making requests. And in this third one, you kind of see David making another kind of shift where it's almost like he's thinking back on his life with the Lord. And so look what he says. He goes, I, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been what? Good to me. So he's like, things right now, not so good. But when I look back, I can see where you've shown up before, God. I know you're good. I know you haven't changed. And so I trust you. I trust you because you've proven yourself trustworthy in the past, so I'm going to trust you in my present. You see, our God is faithful. He is the keeper of covenants and promises. And that's why we see this description in verse 5 of his unfailing love. It's a comment on God's character as one who is faithful. Because God is who he is, we can trust him even if he seems to delay in responding to our requests. See, trusting God also means trusting in his ways and in his timing. And that kind of complicates things and makes it a little more difficult because waiting is hard, isn't it? Waiting is hard. I don't think it's ever been easy, but I think it's particularly difficult for us in this day and age. Like, we are conditioned for instant gratification. So I, I remember back in the days when uh, internet first came out, and it was like AOL, you had dial-up, Right? You'd sign on the internet and you'd get that annoying sound. And it would, take, it would take like five minutes for a web page to load. And that's just the text. Like, no images. Like, forget it. I mean, if there was a, if there was a picture, just one picture, go make some lunch and come back an hour later. Because that image is just like loading through one line at a time. Like, one line of pixels at a time, right? And now, with the internet, what, what can we do? We can download a movie. An HD movie that we could blast on a on a HD television, like in live time, right? A movie, gigabytes of data, just like there at, 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 at the fingertips, right? That's crazy, that's crazy. I mean, how do you all react when you're trying to get on the internet and you got spotty service? Right? You get all frustrated. Or how about this, same day delivery. Same day, like Amazon has ruined us. Do you realize this? I mean, it used to be three days, and it was two days. Now it's same day delivery. You can get on the internet, right? Click order, and it's there that night. That's crazy. That's it. We'll order something, right? It's coming from the other side of planet Earth, and we get, like, a notification that it's going to be about 10 days for delivery, and we're all angry about it. 10 days? This is ridiculous. I should have this by tomorrow. It's like it's coming from the other side of the planet. Do you realize how, how crazy that is? That we get inconvenience having to wait for something to come from the other side of Earth because we've got to wait more than a day for it to get here. I mean, I looked it up. I was like, how long did shipping times take back in the day before, like, airlines and all this other stuff? 
It's like at a minimum, it would have taken like three weeks, a month to traverse the Atlantic Ocean on a sail. I was like, that's insane. Could you imagine if you're like, hey, I'm going to travel. How long is the flight? 30 days. Right? And then fast food. This, this, one, this one gets me all the time. You can get a hamburger in 90 seconds. A hamburger in 90 seconds. Let that sink in for a moment. You can order your hamburger and in 90 seconds have it in your hand, warm and hot, and eat it. And then we get the hamburger, we look at it, and we're like, I said no pickle, and clearly there's a pickle on my hamburger. This is a major inconvenience for me. I don't like pickles. Someone needs to take this pickle off or give me a new hamburger. Like, look, you just got a hamburger cooked in 90 seconds. Like, you should be happy it's not mooing at you. We are so conditioned for instant gratification and convenience that waiting for us is exceedingly difficult. Our tendency is to interpret God's delay as God's dismissal. But very often there is great purpose in God's timing because in God's timing he is teaching us things about himself and revealing things about us. Like when you get upset about the pickle being on your hamburger, that's an opportunity to do some self-reflection, right? Be like, why am I so angry about this pickle on my hamburger when it's as simple as remove bun, take hair, lick the pickle off, put the bun back on, and go on with my day because I got a hamburger in 90 seconds and I should be grateful for that. So very often God will allow us to go through times of disruption and inconvenience because in those times we get a clear picture for our own junk. And God's like, yeah, look, cool, this is what I want you to see. Let's work on this. He may be testing, he may be growing you. So we have to trust him in his timing. We have to trust him in his plans. But like the psalm guides us, we must recall, more than anything else, we have to recall God's faithfulness and unfailing love and salvation. What more proof do we need of this, than God's, uh, of God's disposition towards us, than what he has given us in Christ? A guy named uh, George Mueller had a ministry caring for orphans, and he, it's an incredible story, but the whole kind of foundation for his ministry was prayer and, and trusting on God's provision for him and for the orphans, because his desire was that those orphans that were being cared for would grow up knowing with confidence that God loved them and would provide and care for them. And so he decided to build and, and structure his ministry on those principles. And there's crazy stories of God's provision if you read his journals. But he says this, and I think this is interesting because it kind of gives us a window into Mueller's heart and why he had this confidence in God and for God's provision. He says, when sometimes all has been dark, exceedingly dark, judging from natural appearances, when I would have been overwhelmed in grief and despair if I had looked at things according to their outward appearance, and he's quoting from 2 Corinthians 10, 7 there, he says, at such times I have sought to encourage myself in God by laying hold in faith of his mighty power, his unchangeable love, and his infinite wisdom. I have said to myself, if God is able and willing to deliver me, if it is good for me, or I'm sorry, God is able and willing to deliver me, if it is good for me, for it is written, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That's Romans 8.32. And then Mueller says, As I believe this promise through his grace, my soul was kept in peace. 
And so the, the center point or the, the, the foundation stone for Mueller's confidence in God's provision for him was the provision that God had already given him in his son, Jesus Christ. And that speaks to God's character and nature and concern and love for us as his people. And so to encourage our faith, we can and should look back on previous times God has shown himself faithful. We can look to Jesus. We can look to the stories that we see, for example, in the Bible itself where God had shown himself faithful to the saints that, are, uh, that we see recorded there. You've got friends, family who probably have testimonies of God's provision and faithfulness to them. And by God's grace, you probably also have times in your own past that you can look back on and say, yeah, God showed up and, and, and really preserved me and, and saved me and carried me and my family during that season of time. And these, these things that God does in the past form kind of, uh, I like to refer them as markers that we can kind of look back to and orient ourselves by. Ways of remembering. Just like David, okay, God, I don't like my present circumstance and are causing me to fear, to feel, fear, feel fearful and worried and to, to doubt you, but you proved yourself faithful then. So because you proved yourself faithful in the past, I'm going to trust that you're faithful in my present. So in closing, God is faithful. He is good and he is loving and he is for you. So exercise faith in him even when you can't see how he is in control. In all circumstances, against all sin, over Satan, and all who do or aim to do you harm. So question him, call upon him, and wait upon him. And if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I hear what you're saying, but this is a real struggle for me right now, then I would encourage you to not go it alone. Like, I'd be happy to talk with you. Pastor Jeff would be happy to talk with you. Any of the elders would consider it a privilege and an honor to just to hear you, to hear what's going on in your life and to pray for you, to encourage you in any way that we can. And to know, like, look, we've all, all of us walk through these kinds of experiences in life. And the worst thing we can do is to close down and pretend like giving expressions of doubt, concern, fear, etc. are not part of the Christian life because they are. But even worse is to walk through those kinds of seasons alone. Or, what's the, oh man, um, or to kind of like the, a pat in. I remember one time Aaron and I were going through a really rough time. And somebody's like, you just got to have faith. I was like, ah, like, that's all I got. Like, what are you talking about? Like, don't give me those kinds of cheap answers. That doesn't help me. That just makes me angry, and I want to punch you in the nose right now, right? Like, you need people to weep with you and walk with you and sometimes just sit with you and, and listen because, look, we don't have the answers. We're all looking like, like David, looking to God, trusting him, and kind of falling or failing forward through this life as we try to figure out what it looks like to be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father, we ask more than anything else, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit. Lord, that you would pour out your mercy and grace. Lord, that we would look to you and that we would trust you. Lord, that you would enable us to trust you. Lord, if we are suffering, if we are feeling lonely, if we are feeling hopeless, if we are feeling depressed or disconnected, Lord, if we feel as though you have shelved us, I pray, Lord, that we would, in faith, bring these questions, bring these doubts before you. Lord, that we would boldly bring our requests to you, and Lord, that we would wait on your response, knowing that you are good, you are faithful, and that you are true. Heavenly Father, you sent your Son, Jesus, to live the life we should have lived, die the death we deserved, and wrote... He was risen, or rather raised up in victory and in vindication over sin, death, and Satan to purchase for us a redemption that we don't deserve so that we might be called sons and daughters of the Most High. 
So, Father, may we cherish and grab hold of our identity as your children and let that shape the way that we think about our relationship with you. And may we pursue intimacy with vigor and with abandon, knowing that you love us and, Lord, that you care for us. And it's in Jesus' great name we pray. Amen.